Hello, and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about the difference between branding and positioning. Mm. Yeah, so we've been talking about positioning quite a bit lately. We've talked about uh, specialization on recent episodes as well. We talked to April Dunford, who wrote Obviously Awesome. And in a recent episode, my ears perked up when Rochelle said something like, well, you have to do positioning before branding, but if you don't do you know, I was like, oh, okay. So there's a relationship there. And I feel like I'm pretty solid as someone who helps lots of people with their positioning, but I am at best an amateur brander in that even that is an overstatement. I can tell someone what branding is in a way that they'll kind of understand it, but it's not something I do. And so my ears really perked up at that. And I thought it'd be a fun topic for an episode. Yes. Yes. Sometimes when you hear things like positioning versus branding, it sounds like a bunch of marketing speak, like just making up stuff that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I think it would be good if we clarified what we mean when we talk about that. Yeah, let's let's do it. Cool. Maybe we can both give our definitions of the two different things just to show how comically tough they are to define. Yes. <laughs> uh, so to me, coming up with a strong positioning, it's a way to make your thing, let's just say thing for now, more memorable. So it could be a product, it could be a service, it could be your business, but it's it's a way of articulating what it is that you do or what it, what it is that your thing does that is makes it super memorable and you end up occupying this position in the buyer's mind so that when anybody thinks, I need a safe car, Volvo pops into their head. Or when somebody says, I don't know, I need an expert at voice computing, Brian Romilly pops into their head, you know, so it's like that kind of a thing. So that's positioning, but that's not a brand. Mm-hmm. To me, a brand, and you're going to take this apart, I know, but <laughs> as a complete amateur, I would say, to me, the brand is what people say about you behind your back. You have one or you 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 always have one, whether you know it or not. And branding, the activity of branding is engaging in activities that will influence what people say about you behind your back so that they're saying the things about you that you want them to say. Yeah. I, I actually oh. like that. I like that oh. definition. Oh, I'm patting myself <laughs> you, on the back Are right you now. shocked? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Well, well, I don't know that there's a universal definition of branding, but I like that. That hits the key points. But can we go back to positioning for a sec? Sure, please. Because I have to tell you, I still, I really like how April Dunford described it. And I might change a couple words here and there for our audience, but she talks about it as being deliberately defining how you're the best at something that a defined market cares a lot about. And what I like about that definition, it doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, but it's that it's first of all, that you're deliberately defining so that you're making a clear choice on who it is you're going to serve. To me, that's niching. It's all tied into that. But it's also how you're best at something, not the, the steps, but you're really creating this idea in your target market's mind of what you do that's different and better than what everybody else in that adjacent space does. And then the last piece, which isn't required, but I pretty much always work in that space is where you have a defined market, that you have a market that cares a lot about whatever this is. And it's not that you can't make your own market. I mean, we've talked about that on the show before, but it's hard. 
And it's not a place for a solo typically to start. It's you're going to have much more success if you can find a an already defined market and then carve out, which is what positioning is, is carve out a space for yourself in there. And sometimes the way I describe that is what you're looking for in positioning is you're looking for white space. Is it a spot that nobody else has? And it has to be big enough so that it can achieve the vision you have for yourself, but small enough so that you can own it. And that's what we're always looking for in positioning is where is that little spot? And then branding is you can't do branding until you know what your positioning is. Why do you say that? Well, because who is it that you want to influence? Oh, because you don't know who you're talking to yet. Yeah. 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 That makes perfect sense. And so when I talk about what I do, a lot of times I'll say, you know, I'm a brand strategist, but the first thing we do is position. I have to start there. Otherwise it's like, well, what do you, what is it we're branding? What, you know, what are we, what stories are we trying to tell? Or as I often talk about branding, it's stories, actions, and visuals. So it's stories, actions, actions, and visuals. Because the way to think about this, especially as a soloist is you are your brand. And so literally everything that you do telegraphs a message to the people who are watching. And so it's the stories that you tell and that others tell about you. It's the actions that you take, little things like um, how do you open an email when you send your email to people? How do you answer your phone? How quickly do you answer your messages? It's like every small thing. It's the actions because it's the accumulation of those actions that telegraph to other people what your brand big picture is. And then the visuals, which if you're in graphic design, you're you're involved in this all the time. It's the visuals, but graphic designers don't just go, oh, I think I'll draw a circle and put a line through it and put your name on it. They, <laughs> right? They, yeah, they want to know. Yeah, they want to know who are you serving? Who is your client? What's your message? What's different about you? What's important to know about you? And and, and it's all visuals. It's not just things that a designer will do for you, but it's also. What do you do? Wear a hat? Do you wear a necktie? Do you wear a t-shirt? Do you look like Zuckerberg? Or do you look like, um, I'm trying to think of somebody really, really like buttoned up in a suit. I can't think. Ah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. What's that visual that you give? And so what happens is that the people who are watching you are getting impressions from all of that. And the same two people won't get the same impression. Right. But but over time, there should, you know, over time, as you're working on this and you're trying to put all these pieces in alignment, people should start to say your people. Right. Because you don't care about the people you're not trying to reach, but your people start to tell a more consistent story about you and your work and your ideas. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, that's that's an expert's reply. (laughs) (laughs) The thing that I guess I would. Uh, call out there is the critical importance of both of either positioning or branding as an exercise is to know who you're talking to i just sent an email to my list because i've been talking about this as similar you know like we will talk about something on a show and then it'll be on my mind for a week until we have the next show and so we generally talk about it on my daily list and one of the things i sent out recently was like talking about the difference between specializing your skill set or niching down on an audience and how those two axes can interact with each other and maybe maybe going super super narrowly focused on both is problematic 
certainly being too broad on both is problematic. You know, everyone for everything, uh, everything for everyone. But I think you can get in trouble on the other end, but I digress. The reason I bring it up is because at the end of the email, I said to people, it's theoretically, you could be overly narrow. You could be focused so narrowly that you're not getting enough leads. But 99% of the time, or in fact, probably 100% of the time in my experience, people are way too broad. So I said, if you can't tell if you're too broad or too narrow, reply to this message. And in 20 words or less, tell me what your positioning statement is. You know, either I do X for Y or I help X with Y. Like, what is it? Tell me what you do. You know, I got like 50 or 60 replies. There were some pretty good ones, actually. As a matter of fact, there were, there were several that, that were like, wow, that's, that's really clear. I, I can always tell when it worked because even if I don't, if I'm not in the target market or I don't need the thing, they immediately, they immediately stick in my head as like, oh, if anybody ever needs this, I know who to call. You can tell when it works. It's an instant. And when it does, you have like this Rolodex moment or like a, a seed planted for a future Rolodex moment, like, oh, somebody needs voice computing expertise. I know who to call. So there were a few that were like that. And there were a few that felt like there was a really solid position in there because they were specific about, they had a really weird discipline, really weird skill set. And and they seemed like they were they knew in their head who that was for, but it was just sort of sloppily executed in the in the word. They just just need to pick better words. But the, in their head, they actually do have a pretty focused position. But then the vast majority, probably, well, not, I shouldn't exaggerate. Maybe sixty five percent of them were just like, I think this might be too broad. And they'd say something like, "I help insert list of of fifteen things with." Uh, and then they would just like a list of skills. It was like, I mean, one after the other, not, and, and to my, to my point, to prove my point, not a single one was overly specified, uh, except for one clown who sent in, uh, I clean up sidewalks in front of a particular address. And it's like, okay, okay. That's probably too specific to have a, a thriving business. But yeah, it's, it was amazing going through that. And We've said over and over because we talk about writing a lot. And we talk about daily emails a lot, and and one of the real challenges to doing a lot of writing is is it becomes difficult to choose to know what words to choose if you don't know who you're talking to. So picking a target market that is like the your ideal, and that's usually the term I use. Like pick your ideal buyer. Yes, I understand that you could work for 75 kinds of businesses, but what's the ideal one? What's the type of type of business that you want to hang around with? You're going to spend tons of time with these people doing probably going above and beyond to deliver amazing customer satisfaction. Wouldn't it be great if they were the kind of people who you liked, you know, whether it's ideologically or they're into the same sports or whatever, they're into pets. And there were the types of businesses who you want to see succeed instead of ones who you could really care less one or the other or worse, ones that you don't actually agree with their mission. So there's probably an ideal buyer there. If you've got any few years of experience, you're going to have at least one client where you're like, you know, those people were amazing to work for. Anyway, so I'm soapboxing about the importance of picking an ideal buyer and a target market and an audience, whatever you want to call it. One way I tend to think about this is that you're planting a flag it's like if you look out into the distance and you see all these hills all over the place, there's hills, there's hills, there's there's a hill that doesn't have a flag on it. 
And that's what you're going to do is you're finding that hill and you are planting your flag and that's that's going to be you. You're going to own that that piece of real estate. Yeah. So let, let's jam the needle on that all the way to the most extreme version of this. Um, we had David Fields on the show and one of the things he talked about was don't be hindered by your existing skills. This is over the top, but I think it, it proves the point. Don't be hindered by your existing skills. If you find that white space and you and it's a group that you want to serve, but you don't have the skills, just learn the skills. <laughs> you know, <laughs> instead of because I get, you know, maybe it's because I work with highly technical people, engineer types. They have spent all this time developing these skills and they have an inherent belief that they're valuable, which is true. They're valuable to some people, but not everyone. And they're totally running around like a hammer looking for nails instead of like, oh, look, there's screws everywhere, but I'm a hammer. So I can't, I can't do a good job with these. I need to be, you know, Fields would say, well, get a screwdriver, you know, (laughs) and just make that pivot. And he had examples of it. Uh, He has examples of it in his book of people who you could look at it a little bit I don't know. I suppose it depends on the intent. I was going to say you could look at that as a little bit opportunistic and like, oh, fidget spinners are a fad right now. I'm going to go start doing fidget spinners for 10 minutes and try and make a bundle of money. But that's not what we're talking about here. We talk a lot about authority. Obviously, it's in the it's in the header of the podcast. But you can build authority without having had 25 years doing one thing. You absolutely can do that. But I think the key is you have to do it like a professional. You have to do it seriously. You have to undertake the work and the study and whatever that is. But absolutely, because if you're smart in one thing, you can be smart in another. For myself, I mean, I made a a career shift when I started doing really marketing slash branding. And it's because I wanted to serve this marketplace of people like me right? Other consultants or people who wanted to be consultants. So you can absolutely do it. But I, I just, I always think of the, the guy who wrote me and said, I, I can't figure out what's going on with my business. I, I decided I want to do branding. I read five books and I've started teaching some workshops, but nobody's signing up. I don't, not quite, I'm sitting there going, really? You read five books? Boy, they're, and they're not just like flocking to you. So, you know, so it's <laughs> that you've got to do the work and the study, but there's a lot of smart people listening to this and you can do that. Right. Yeah. And the other thing I, I suggest to people who are just starting out in a new space is to uh, demonstrate results. People care. Experience is one thing, but it's really a proxy for results. So if you see somebody has a lot of experience, the assumption is that they're delivering results for the clients, but you can jump the line by delivering results. And you know, you might not be capable of doing it. And that's another story. But if you can, uh, demonstrate either through testimonials or case studies or something like some business transformation that you enabled for a client and they talk about it on your website or on their website or wherever, that's not going to catapult you to authority status, surely, but is a way to kind of leapfrog into at least getting more, you know, building trust with an audience and at least building some expertise while you do work your way up to authority status, if that's what you're going for. Yeah, because it's it's like breadcrumbs. You know, you're building authority. It doesn't. It's not like one. You just are suddenly. Oh, ah, I'm in authority. Yeah. It's it's that yeah. process, and you can yeah, start any overnight. Yeah, exactly. But you can start any wherever you are. That's the beauty of this. Mm-hmm. All right. So 
I think we've established that you think positioning is a good first step. Mm -hmm. What stage of one's business does branding start to become really critical? Uh, at the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's, let's, let's distinguish this branding in the sense of, oh, I have to have a fabulous logo and I have to have this over the top website that has all these bells and whistles, you know, no, you don't need to start there, obviously, but branding in the sense of aligning your stories and actions and visuals, I think you want to start that as early as you can and and know that it's not going to be a straight line, that you'll try one thing and you go, mm, I don't think I like that message so much. And you might move back a little bit or adjust it a little bit. It's a process. But I think the sooner that you start thinking about everything that you do being in alignment in your business, the better off you'll be. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. It doesn't sound like something you would need to put off for, say, financial reasons or time constraints. You can just, it it could be something that you're intentional about and be like, all right, I'm going to try and be consistent, I guess, I think is the word you used. But like for me, just to, to use myself as an example, I've certainly, I can think of a two or three times in my past where I've walked back a position because it was, um, after I put it out there, I was like the reaction. I was like, oh, that wasn't the reaction I was going for. And yeah, looking back on it, it was a little too inflammatory or, or whatever. And, and not helpful. Like I don't mind being inflammatory, but it needs to be helpful. Being a branding novice, I've always kind of taken an approach of like, Look, I'm just going to be myself all the time, warts and all. So if you if you don't like it, well, I guess we wouldn't be probably a good fit anyway. To me, that's not branding; it's intentional, <laughs> right? It's I'm intentionally being my normal self all the time. But um, I well, let me let me let me take that and and give you an example. So in that scenario, what you could do, like when you first started, whichever business you want to think about in your head, is you could tell stories, client stories, right? Not testimonials, but but outcomes. When I say a client story, I mean a situation where a client hired you, you did X, they did Y, the outcome was Z. And you tell that story, but you tell it in your way, right? It's not like some slick marketeer came in and, and did something with it. It's your story and you tell it. And you tell it just the way you would in your voice. That would be an example of something you would do that to me is, I would call that branding. It's taking that story and telling it in your way and with the outcomes that hit with your ideal client, your target market. Right. Which you know from your positioning. So I like this because it sounds super doable. Like it's, it makes it sound so accessible. It's branding seems like one of those terms that everybody's got a different definition for and it Different people will, you know, in a room will be using the same word, but with each one with a different understanding of what it means, which it's just, oof, that's tough. It's a tough situation. Well, like, well if we've also had this thing since what, I don't know, maybe, well, probably 2000 if we go back far enough, but we have this whole idea of a personal brand and that everybody has a personal brand and our job is to, you know, put that brand out there. And somehow that has become especially in in the minds of experts and authorities. It's like, ooh, no, no, I don't want that personal brand thing because it sounds very self-promotional and sometimes delusional um, about the the personal brand. But what we're really talking about here is it's the essence of who you are and how you operate in your work. 
And you can influence that by being real about it. Stories, actions, and visuals, and being who you are in your style. Some will say, you know, be the best version of you. And by best, I don't necessarily mean the most polished, but the the best in the sense of the most authentic experience that people can get that mirrors what it's actually like to work with you. I actually think you do a really good job of that, Jonathan. The stripped down website, it fits. And that wouldn't work for everybody, but it works for you because it's from the inside out versus the outside in. Oh, that's a really good way to think about it, actually. Yeah, that's what branding is, really. And and remember, so I'm not branding consumer products in big companies. I'm branding people. And that's all all it brand is it's it's that promise that anticipated promise of of what they're going to get when they experience you and so that has to be based on reality or it's not going to work it has to be you and there i guarantee every person listening to this has a unique set of experiences talents and passions that when you pull all those together help you figure out which stories actions and visuals to use to advance your cause with your audience. Oh man, that just that just triggered a memory of a um, a branding story that I read in the recent past about Underwood Devil Dam. <laughs> Do you know this story? <laughs> no, but I pictured the label the second you said it with the little devil, and I think he has a pitchfork. Yeah, I think so too. He's got the tail and all that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm going to butcher it, but basically, it was. Don't hold me to this, but it's it's to paraphrase back when it came out, which I think was right before the Civil War, there was uh, in the US, there was a need for uh, like shelf stable food for soldiers. And there were all different kinds, but there were there wasn't really any kind of food regulation at the time. And a lot of them were would make people sick. You really it was it was a, a crapshoot. If you were going to end, well, no pun intended, um, <laughs> you know, whether or not you're going to get sick from this stuff. So the uh, Underwood people, they branded it. So there was like, that was that little, probably, I don't know if it was the same logo at the time, but it was like when you went into the store and you got Underwood Devil Ham, you knew it wasn't going to make you sick. Mm. And cool. and the person who was writing That's the article. That's high praise. <laughs> <laughs> right. The person who was making the article, uh, wrote the article, was making the the claim that the purpose of a brand is to not surprise the buyer. So it's almost like this promise that you will not be surprised. And I don't mean that, you know, you can surprise and delight. Yes, you want to do that, but surprised in a bad way. If you go to Starbucks, you will not be surprised in a bad way. If you buy Underwood deviled ham, you're not going to be, it's always going to be the same. There's a consistency to it that you can trust which I find a really, so taking it all the way back to what was perhaps considered the first brand in the United States and tying it directly to a promise that they're making, it's going to be the same as the last one you had, which you had a good experience with, and that therefore, when you see that logo, you can trust it. So it, the logo could have been a picture of a pig or anything. It could have been, it doesn't matter that it was a, a devil. That's not the point. The point is that when you see that, you're going to trust it to be like the last time you had it. And if that's a good, if you enjoyed the last time you had it, then that's, um, that's an important thing. And to me that, that made it, uh, that like demystified 
I don't know if you agree with that, but but it demystified the idea of branding quite a bit for me. No, I do. Brand is about consistency because if you have sort of the equivalent of um, there's a, a mental illness, not schizophrenia, the other one. If, but if if you suddenly deal with somebody who is oh, like bipolar, thank you, and who is very. Uh, manic on one end and then very relaxed and down like this the other time it's you don't know who you're going to get it's you don't want the business equivalent of that yes and who hasn't had that client yes (laughs) (laughs) yes and so if you're that energetic you know always on person great be that person if you're the laid back maybe more introverted person be that person not a problem you'll find your tribe in either case but it's when it's when you go back and forth between especially extremes. People don't trust you. But it's also, it's interesting, it's also the, uh, so we're talking about branding, is the importance of that mark. And this is why really wonderful graphic designers can make a ton of money developing the right kinds of marks. You know, like Nike, you know, when you see the swoosh, you know, that means something. I didn't think about the deviled ham, but, and I don't eat that, but I, re- I remember that being in our house from when I was a little kid. So it's, it has a familiarity to it. I know what it is, right? And so that's the advantage of, of a physical mark whether that's a logo or it's the font you put your name in, it, it's a subliminal reminder for people of what you are or who mm-hmm. you are. What you represent is maybe a better way to say it, of what you represent. Right. Yeah. It's like a trigger to be like, oh, yeah, that's that thing I trust or or, or not. Yeah. Or not. Yeah. They right. It's go. like a shorthand for all of the experiences that they've had so far with that company or product or service. Yes. Yes. And so when you read about branding, I mean, just Google, you'll see there's a gazillion articles about it, but they'll always talk about here are the best marks. And this is why when you're in solo practice or you have a firm and you're working towards authority, it's not that the mark doesn't matter, but it doesn't have the same level of importance as it does in some of these other things. What really matters is the consistency and the quality with which you deliver your expertise. So it's those client experiences over time are going to matter more than having a swoosh in your logo. Good, because I have a pigeon. So (laughs) I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I mean, I know what it means, but I don't know what it tells people. Um, I, I don't know, but it is a cute little pigeon. Yeah, that was uh, for pigeonholing yourself. But anyway, the, <laughs> okay, so I mean, this is clearing up a lot of things for me in the, not just the nature of branding, but also kind of not, I don't want to say DIY, but like, the, you don't need to be afraid of it. And you don't necessarily, I mean, obviously, hiring a professional is a great thing to do. But if, but if you can just think about what it is that you want to, what promise it is that you want to make, and there's no reason to I guess avoid it or think it's um, if for later uh, is for exactly yeah. that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to put it off. Yeah, and I've just had a couple conversations in the last uh, couple of weeks with people who were in corporate jobs and left uh, for a number of reasons, but you know, decided to consult, and they they'd been consulting for maybe six nine months. And what happens in that time frame is you do work for your friends, basically, is people that you know in your prior life give you assignments. So you don't necessarily have to think too much about those things. But then what happens is in, in both of these cases is they started to go, 
oh, I can see an end date when I'm not just going to get those referrals automatically anymore. So how do I want to think about this? And my advice to them was really simple. It's look at not just the consulting experiences, but your corporate experiences. Look at every single one as a project. Think of them as projects and start to define what made them great or what made them terrible. And then you can start to figure out which stories you want to tell as you go forward. And it's such a simple thing. It, but a lot of people, especially if you haven't been consulting for very long, you don't think about those stories as being valuable. But they're how you illustrate the outcomes that you get for clients. And there's nothing more important than that. And you can start there. You can do that on your own. You don't have to hire somebody to help you with that. I love it. Well, I hope this has been helpful for the dear listener. It's certainly been helpful for me. (laughs) (laughs) Don't lose the pigeon. I can't. I feel like I can't now. (laughs) No, you can't. No, I like the pigeon, actually. I love it. I love that it's like, what is that for? (laughs) I mean, it it could be a tree frog. It doesn't matter. But I also like, let me just make a comment. There's a thing that you do. And I, I usually, when Jonathan and I do this, we don't see each other, right? We're doing this on audio. We don't have the video feed open. But uh, I think it was the last interview or one of the last interviews we did and we had it open and I could see this bird behind Jonathan. And I'm like, that's just that bird. He's like, it's, oh, it's the pigeon. It's the pigeon. I thought that was great. It's, it was a subtle form of visual branding. And that's the kind of thing that you can do when you get really clear about who you are and who you want to serve is those, those symbols are, will come to you and they'll make sense to you and you'll use them in multiple ways in, in your business. Yeah. You know, when you, you, maybe it happens more so when you get a little <clears throat> more advanced in years, but if you ever <laughs> mention to someone that you collect things, then every single opportunity that oh, yes. they get, they give you. So for me, it's birds <laughs> because of the pigeon. So yes, I have, I have birds all over my office. <laughs> well, it was a perfectly placed pigeon and it was very elegant looking it, it was perfect but that, that's my point is it that's just a single symbol you don't have to have a pigeon to be successful you can have an eagle no it's finding those things that represent who you are and how you serve just as a like a kind of a silly example I still have on my desk a it's a it's a see-through it's a glass container and it has colored paper clips in it and I, I use like three paper clips a year. Okay, I know I don't need this. But the first thing I did when I left Big Firm Consulting is I had to buy some office supplies. And I went to get paper clips. And I went, why am I buying these? These are so ugly. And so I went and found some that were brightly colored and beautiful. And I thought, I have to remember this. So I stuck them in a glass jar on my desk so I could always remember I can choose any color paper clips I want because I'm in charge. I'm the boss. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's you know, it's a silly thing, but those are the kinds of things that they're like talismans of personal power, personal motivation to people, Mm -hmm. as well as they can be if people know what what it means. They can be a, a symbol to to the rest of the world and to your your target market. Yeah, and you know, if you keep at it, they they get imbued with meaning and becomes meaningful to other people too and before you know it you're leading a movement mr (laughs) and mrs authority (laughs) that was really helpful for me i I hope the dear listener got something out of it but uh 
I, I hope so, because we have these conversations for them, ideally. Right. <laughs> We've solved more than a few of our own problems in the process. Yeah, so today it was me on the couch. Uh, cool. All right. Well, that's it for this time around. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us next week for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.